Good morning, and welcome back to Coffee Books, the podcast where I read books about coffee to you. We are going to continue on today in The Curious Breeze's Guide to Coffee by Tristan Stevenson in the middle of page 10. Where it all began. Our journey begins in Ethiopia. While it is generally accepted that Ethiopia Ethiopia is a birthplace of coffee, it's quite likely that it was simply the first place that the crop truly flourished after spreading from the Sudan. Exactly when its leaves, cherries, or beans were first consumed is a mystery, though. What we do know is that around 2,000 years ago, the nomadic Oromos tribe, living in the kingdom of Kifa in modern-day Ethiopia, were known to have molded the leaves and fruit of the coffee tree into a kind of cake that could be sucked and chewed on, rather like a caffeinated chewing gum, giving them a temporary boost of energy. Later, evidence is rather circumstantial, however. In the 5th century AD, the kingdom of Aksum ruled northern Ethiopia and parts of southern Egypt, and at this time, Aksum was doing a roaring trade with the Roman Empire. But alas, there's no record of a Roman ever drinking a cup of coffee. It's possible that coffee was planted in the kingdom of Himyar, now part of modern-day Yemen, shortly after the kingdom of Aksum had invaded. If that wasn't the case, the 7th century saw plenty more interaction between the people of Ethiopia and Yemen, on both a political and intellectual level. It also saw the rise of Islam, much to coffee's benefit. Sometime later, the Arab trading routes from Yemen, namely the port of Mocha, became responsible for coffee's domination of the Middle East. The legendary tale of coffee's discovery is worthy of a mention, though. The story goes that it was first discovered by a young Ethiopian goat herder called Kaldi. This story, more than any other, has stuck because it's cute, vaguely believable, and open to a touch of embellishment. Kaldi was tending to his herd one evening when he noticed that they exhibited a certain friskiness after nibbling on the leaves and red cherries of a particular tree. Confused and more than a little intrigued, Kaldi tried the fruit for himself. The effect was almost immediate. He felt energized, motivated, and alert. Kaldi had discovered caffeine, the most widely consumed drug in the world today. What happened next is open to debate. Some say Kaldi took the fruit and leaves to elders or religious men nearby, while others say that the influence of coffee made Kaldi rather attached to his herd. In time, Yemen developed its own story of the discovery of coffee, which tells a tale of a man called Omar who was condemned to die outside Mocha city walls. During his wanderings in the wilderness, Omar found a coffee tree and ate its fruit, which gave him the energy he required to return to the city. His survival was seen as a blessing and so too was the discovery of the coffee plant, which subsequently became the beverage of choice for the residents of Mocha. The Arabs called the drink Quaha, the Arab word for wine, and since Muslims are forbidden to drink alcohol, coffee was probably about as close as they were likely to get to a bottle of Planck. Arabian and Ottoman Coffee 
Coffee spread with Islam as it was commonly used in the performance of religious ceremonies to assist with all-night prayer sessions. It was probably at some point during this time, while Europe was wallowing in the Dark Ages, that the seeds, beans, of the coffee plant were first dried, roasted, and ground up to make the first cup of coffee recognizable by today's standards. Coffee became an important trading commodity for Arab nations, with the world's first coffee houses probably popping up in Yemen by the end of the 15th century. But following a trend that was destined to repeat itself, some leaders took a disliking to the stimulation that coffee granted their subjects. In 1511, Mecca's governor, Kair Beg, presented a pot of coffee to a council of legal experts and literally put it on trial for, purportedly, making people drunk or at least disposed them to commit disorders forbidden by the law. He was successful too. Coffee was burned in the streets and coffee houses were forced to cease trading the drink. The ruling was revoked only a few months later by orders from higher up the chain of command. But over the following 200 years, similar decrees were made, then subsequently revoked, by sultans, governors, kings, and authorities of other Arab regions and beyond. Once the Ottoman Turks took control of Yemen in 1517, they recognized how valuable a commodity coffee was, and passed strict laws on how coffee was exported, the aim being to reduce the risk of coffee being grown anywhere outside of Yemen. Coffee cherries had to be first steeped in boiling water or partially roasted before being shipped to Suez, then overland to Alexandria for trading with European ports. This worked for a while, but inevitably someone managed to sneak some seeds out by taping them to his stomach, so the story goes, and they were successfully cultivated in India. There were mentions of coffee in European literature towards the end of the 16th century, and the first illustration of the plant appeared in Prosper Alpin's Book of Egyptian Plants, 1592. Alpin even mused that the Turks used the berries to make a decoction or drink. Further interest in the exotic plant and the Turkish drink that it made was recounted by the Dutch physician known as Paludanus in his Itinerario, 1596. This drink they take every morning, fasting in their chambers, out of an earthen pot, being very hot, and they say it strengtheneth and maketh them warm, breaketh wind, and openeth any stopping. In 1610, Constantinople, present-day Istanbul, the gem in the crown of the Ottoman Empire, was the largest and richest city in the world. At the time, the most popular drink was called kaffa, black as soot, and tasting not much unlike it. The strange practices of the powerful Ottoman Empire piqued the curiosity of the Europeans. Here, after all, was one of the largest empires that had ever existed stretching from northern Africa to eastern Europe, and at the height of its power right up to the gates of Vienna. The kaffa plant and its fruit became a subject of great interest for European botanists and physicians. But the benefits of drinking coffee piqued the curiosity of nearly everyone. The Rise of the Coffee House by the early 1600s, the coffee bean had made its way to British shores, and in 1652, the first European coffee house opened in London. 
Pasqua Rosé's coffeehouse was actually more of a stall, located in the churchyard of St. Michael's. Just off London's bustling Cornhill, Rosé was thought to have been born early in the 17th century in Sicily. A shrewd businessman, he teamed up with Christopher Bowman, a freeman of the City of London, in order to appease the resistance of local alehouse owners to an outsider. The store was a big hit, and as the benefits of this magical drink became apparent, good after relish and breaking of wind in abundance were two ways that it was described, the stall soon became a large house as it relocated across the road. Coffee shops popped up in London like toadstools in the night. A mere 10 years after Rosé's shop served its first cup, there were thought to be nearly 100 coffee men in London, with coffee houses also opening in Oxford and Cambridge. By the turn of the 18th century, some estimated the number at more than a thousand. I'll leave off here today in the middle of page 13. Thank you for listening and join me again next morning for more coffee and books.